1: Welcome to the World of Work podcast, brought to you by the Aggie Evo system. UC Davis Athletics' one-of-a-kind initiative that focuses on preparing student-athletes for a successful launch into life
0: after graduation.
1: Happy Thursday, Aggie Evo fans. If it's Thursday, it must be time for the Aggie Evo World of Work Coffee Talk podcast. Part of our ongoing effort to help student-athletes better know and navigate the world of work by introducing them to former Ags are out in the world doing interesting things. It is my distinct pleasure this morning to have somebody with the title of president and CEO, which is a rare treat. Mark Self, it's good to see you, sir. Nice to see you, Mike, and thanks for having me on. Uh, well, we are grateful for your willingness to contribute. I'll contribute back to uh, helping Aggies succeed in the world. I'm going to start with my, always my first question to guest is tell me your story. And if you don't know, part of the Evo system is teaching student-athletes how to tell their story in a way that is memorable, unique, descriptive, and specific that works for medical school or name, image, and likeness, or just introducing themselves to people. So it's always good to have an example for what real people do when they tell their story. So with that, I will pass the microphone to you.
2: Ah, Well, that's a big, deep question. And uh, yeah, my, my usual stick is to kind of go through my, my work history. And I'll, I'll do that in an abbreviated sense. I was a uh, Aggie student athlete. Uh, I played varsity soccer. I graduated in beginning of nineteen eighty, so that gives me a whole lot of work experience to share with the uh, student athletes. I uh, got a master's from Northwestern. Uh, my my field of study at, at uh, UCD was English literature, uh, which of course is a terrific segue into a technology career. But I but there's There's some purpose to that. And my first job coming out of graduation was with IBM. I had a stereotypical sales, a little bit of marketing career with IBM that took me from uh, San Francisco Bay Area to Chicago to Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where I'm joining you from today. And I did a two-year stint in London. I came back and I left IBM. I have had since then executive leadership positions. I was head of sales and marketing for a publicly traded 150 million dollar company. At the uh, turn of the millennium, uh, I was head of industry solutions for eight plus years for Motorola. So I know mobility solutions very well. I ran marketing for a 2.3 billion dollar division of NCR. And as you just mentioned today, I'm a I'm a leader of a it's a software startup within an existing business, so M-Pro5, and I'm also technically the CEO and president of two other firms. However, those are really more of a side hustle for me, Mike. Uh, one is a textile firm where I've sub-licensed three patents from the North Carolina State University, and then another one is a land use platform for uh, our goal is to, to develop uh, user tools for the proper stewardship and development of undeveloped land. And then I also, finally, <laughs> I mentor a CEO who's also a leader in technology. And that takes up about five hours or so a month of my time. I give him strategic guidance. I coach him. I mentor him. I help with bigger marketing and sales uh, decisions, I I like to think of my skill set as very, very heavy on the go-to-market side. And for the student athletes that don't know what the hell go-to-market means, pardon my language, uh, go-to-market really encompasses marketing, which would be product positioning as well as promotion, uh, product market fit, channels. So in technology, sales, typically you have more than just a direct sales team. So um, how you create a channel that sells your product for you is is one of my many skills. Uh, Sales, both direct as well as sales management, sales leadership. And recently, because of my board level positions, I'm pretty wide and deep with all things from a governance standpoint. Governance being how you run a board of directors, what that board of directors how that board can add value, how it can take away value in some cases. And then in terms of uh, venture-backed firms, I have a a lot of experience with raising money, both debt uh, raises as well as convertible notes, as well as equity raises. So I'm fairly conversant in all things entrepreneurial. uh, And I've also got, I like to think of my background as heavy on the uh, large enterprise side. However, I've also, I've got at least eight years of experience in extreme startup land. So seed stage companies trying to find their first customer. So that, that's, that's me in a nutshell, as you would expect, or as you might expect someone with a uh, English degree, uh, I'm heavier on the communication side. I've never felt, uh, or I've never looked at myself and thought, this guy's a technologist. I'm not. I understand my, my view of technology and the value I can add is how helping companies that I've worked for and and other companies that I'm giving advice to helping them talk about the outcome of the technology as opposed to the technology itself. So that's 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 me in a nutshell. I've got a master's in business from Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management. I did that when I lived in Chicago. Um, My job has taken me to all sorts of interesting places, and I'm happy. I'm also passionate about mentoring, so I was delighted to uh, get this ask. I have an eight-year relationship with a local high school where I've placed high-achieving. It's a private school, so typically the students are high-achieving and fairly focused on college. And uh, I have a lot of experience with mentoring and helping them make perhaps more, I'm not going to say better, but more informed Decisions about their careers. And I also have a ongoing relationship with Northeastern University, which somehow found me. I don't know how they did, but they've got something called an experiential network where they'll place students in companies based on a project that I put together. And then I get based on how well I put the project together, I most of the time I get work that I can use and leverage for other purposes. So that's me in a nutshell. On a, on a personal note, uh, I'm still an athlete. Uh, I like to row on an indoor rower. I've never been on, on, on water. I um, exercise, my, my exercise choice is weightlifting, which is <laughs> probably disappointing because I don't look very bulked out, but I do do it and uh, walking, uh, riding bikes and golf. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop there and, and let you take it from here.
1: It's an enormous nutshell that I can't possibly hope to pull uh, all the threads in from that wealth of experience. But thanks. That was a terrific summary, especially I love that you tied the English lit degree to what I would say, if I interpret it correctly, is your core skill now, which is communication, which underlies all of the other very many things that you're doing. It's a thing that you're very good at, and I'm glad you tied the whole thing together. Uh, On the athlete front, of course, you're always an athlete. Um, I got to ask what your 2K erg time is if we're going to talk about rowing.
2: Oh, uh, okay. So my best time, that, good. Um, my best, my best time, Mike, is uh, two. I'm sorry, seven minutes thirty
1: seconds. That's amazing. Uh, so I, I've, I got,
2: I, I've got aspirations to break seven minutes, but but that's probably going to remain an aspiration. It's you asked the question, so you know how terribly yeah. <laughs> the,
1: the, uh, people that don't erg have no idea what the difference is between a seven <laughs> thirty and a seven minute. <laughs> that's a lot of suffering.
2: So yeah. well done
1: maintaining your athlete identity. Thank you.
2: I, I'll, 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 if, I, if I may, I'll give of you course. a little more of a riff on the English literature yes, and please. student athletes. Um, when I came out of Davis, probably like many uh, student athletes, I didn't have the foggiest clue what I wanted to do. Uh, I had no plan. My plan was I needed a job because there was no, for me anyway, no safety net. And, yeah, and for was, the record,
1: you weren't thinking about professional soccer back then. You were—you knew soccer was done when college was done.
2: Yeah, I, I, although a good, a, a, to this day, a great friend of mine that I've known for over 50 years, uh, Dirk Dinkers, was a student athlete when I was at Davis, and he did turn professional. He played for the United States Olympic team, played a little bit of uh, outdoor soccer, what is now the MSL. So I had... I had some exposure to that world, but the closest I ever got to it was being paid a nominal amount to to show up for uh, kind of a semi pro league in Central California. So, I would uh, I, I'll tell you what. Um, when I see today's athletes play soccer or football, I would have never made the team. I mean, I it's the, the kids today, the athletes today, are on such a higher plane. And one I played, uh, I think it's amazing. Uh, here in North Carolina, of course, the University of North Carolina has a, a traditionally very powerful women's varsity team, and the men's team is pretty good, too. Uh, the, the, the level of, of athletic competence has, has gotten so much better, so anyway, coming back, coming back to the student-athlete thing of I decided I was going to get a job at IBM. And there was nothing, nothing more to that, except that I went to there back when I was at school, you actually had physical interviews. So there's career days and whatnot. You signed up on a board and I went and did the interviews or whatever reason, the IBM guy, I thought, I want to be like that. And I got I so I just set my mind to that I was going to be a salesperson for IBM. Uh, I started interviewing. (laughs) And then my I started getting rejected.
1: <laughs> no, say it's not so.
2: Oh my god, I got I'm not kidding. Just, I'm not ma- I'm not making this up. I got 11 rejection letters. All very nice, all very, you know, whatever. They they never want to upset anybody, but I got a physical letter in the mail and I lived at 835 F Street, which I think still exists. It's this rotten little apartment.
1: <laughs> I think it's still there.
2: Oh, I, I shouldn't say that in case anybody's listening. This is kind of um, need, some, need some help, uh, apartment complex. I was interested. And I put every single one of those rejection letters on the wall to kind of motivate me. And then on the, on the 12th try, I got the job at Santa Rosa, California. So the moral of that story for student athletes is my message to you is your competitiveness and your drive regardless of what you're majoring in. You know, I happen to major in English, okay. But your competitiveness and your drive, you may take that for granted because you are an athlete. However, that is very, very valuable from a business standpoint. And what I did, my personal story and journey is I just used the rejections as a way to fuel my, well, I'm gonna show them. And on the 12th try, I got the job. and I think there's, there's another link there as I started out in sales and I know sales isn't for everybody, but don't, don't, don't discount that if you're a student athlete because people like, in, when sales is a competitive sport, it's a collaborative sport too, but it's a competitive sport by nature of the fact that you're given a quota. Um, just that in and of itself sets you apart from many other job seekers. So I'll I'll give you that from personal experience as well as maybe to pique your interest in going forward, whoever you may be listening to this.
1: I, I think that's well said. And I, I will say student athletes are often very successful in sales-related fields because of that. But I also, a number of years ago, read Daniel Pink's To Sell is Human. And his big contribution, I think, was to reframe most jobs, and I think he uses the statistic 90%, are selling if you define selling as persuading somebody else to part with something they have in return for something you have to offer. So as a teacher, I have to persuade students to listen to me. As a coach, I have to persuade students to part with their attention, to listen to what I have to offer. And if you think about that as selling, that's a really valuable skill. And if you can get it early on in life as you did, obviously it served you well.
2: That's well said, Mike. And obviously the the science and the skill and the art of selling has changed an awful lot since I started my career. So I'm not going to pretend to give the the listeners any, any specific guidance there, but it's still competitive. And life is competitive, whether we like that or not, it depends on the individual, but anytime you can, and selling, I think sometimes can be a kind of a four letter word. It's, it's got a, in some people's minds, perhaps it's got a reputation for, hey, you know, you're selling somebody something that they really didn't need, yeah. um, which is, it's true in some areas, kind of the the stereotypical used car salesperson. But you know, most of the time, it's it's a collaborative venture and a consultative venture where you're trying to help your customer or your client make a more informed decision for them.
1: I think that's well framed also. It takes it away from the transactional, which is what makes people feel schmarmy about used car salesmen to more of a transformational long-term thing where we're trying to gain value together. And if you look at it that way, it shouldn't feel bad. You're adding value to a client and that's helpful over time. I, I I don't think I've asked you this before. The English lit part of you, you had a reason for choosing that as a major. And if I knew or if I knew you better or had to guess, I would say you're intellectually curious And you like to learn about things in the world. Um, I I think most people that read have those characteristics anyway. Is that true about you? And if it is, how has that served you well in building this remarkable breadth and depth of expertise and knowledge?
2: You're a wonderful shill. And we didn't just for the listeners, we didn't um, rehearse this. (laughs) I I am curious. Um, there There wasn't a lot of thought. On my part, put into English or English literature, what happened, Mike, was because of my curiosity. And I like to read. I've always enjoyed reading. So I thought, well, hell, I'll, I'll just, I'll read a bunch of good books and learn how to write better. I think that um, those qualities did help kind of inform my decision to study English and have that as a major. I came close to. A double major in English and uh, economics, but I just I was too lazy and too caught up with my soccer practicing to really give that strong consideration. plus I was and i I don't want to I don't want to portray myself as some kind of new version of Horatio auger, but I was putting myself through school, and I didn't really feel like I wanted to have some fun so i I, I came I, I think i came within four courses of having a double major I'm I'm short story is I'm interested in economics and the social sciences as well so but but english because and, and I'll put in another plug for english or english literature any anybody even now even with chat gpt and all this other stuff that's going to happen anybody who knows how to compose their thoughts in a readable fashion and can can kind of give some critical thinking to a subject matter whether that's just an essay or a proposal or whatever it is i'm telling you men and women of uc davis that that is an invaluable skill regardless i don't care if you're a biology major or if you're a social studies major or you're a chemistry major or you're a, a viticulture and enology major that skill will stay with you your entire career. So there's, there's my pitch for the humanities, Mike.
1: Okay, you opened the door exactly where I wanted you to go.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: You are a self-described non-technical guy who has made a career in technology. And there's precedent now uh, close by us in Silicon Valley. There are many people that work at Google and Facebook and tech, LinkedIn, whoever, who are not technologists, but serve other functions. And there's a lot of conversation and fear right now about artificial intelligence, chat, GPT, and higher ed is this really frightening thing to a lot of folks. But you can be frightened by it or you can choose to look beyond it and say, how can I work in the world that is described by artificial intelligence as it grows in functionality? And I would love to hear your thoughts as somebody that likes mentoring and can see technology for what it is and extend on what you just talked about a little bit. If you're going to talk to a college student about Non-replicable skills by artificial intelligence and the sorts of things you as an athlete bring to the table. What kind of jobs? What kind of skills? How should undergraduates be thinking about that right now?
2: I'm going to try to give you a thoughtful answer because I'm sure. I mean, try to give you all the thoughtful answers, but I, I'm sure that there's computer science majors listening to this. I, I, I admit, Mike, I'm a little biased. Here, here's here's my thinking. I get. I personally get because of my title. I get all sorts of come ons, for lack of a better word, from people trying to sell outsourced development. So here's, and it's always based on price. I've got all these developers and they live in cages in the Philippines or pick a developing country and it's really cheap. And the value proposition is always as cheap. That's obviously not where you as a UC Davis grad want to be. The, the skills, whether they're technical in nature or I've made a case for humanities and critical writing and critical thinking. The things that are going to set you as a candidate, as a person, as a human being apart from other candidates are the things that are unique to you. And so there's many people, for example, that know how to code in Python or whatever the the net, there's in the language, computer language has always changed. And back when I started, there are people writing in something called Fortran, and now those. Folks are either taking care of legacy systems because they're too expensive to get rid of, or, or they're working for the Federal Aviation Commission to keep the airplanes going. But uh, the the point I'm trying to clumsily make is think about what's unique to you, and you're going to have you're going to graduate with a with a set of skills that you learned in the classroom, and whether it's science or mathematical or computer programming in nature, whether it's humanities in nature the things that set you apart is what you bring to the table in terms of your value add or your perception of those skills. Because ChatGPT, I'm reading articles, it can code right now. You say, give me, give me a macro for this, and here you go. So in, in that kind of world, what are the things that differentiate people? Well, this, for one, you, your personality, how you relate to people. Can, do you have like, Here's something that, that, here's a warning too. Here's one of the things that I still, uh, struggle's a strong word, but, but it kind of keeps me up at night when I think of how I talk about my background is the soft skills, the kind of the emotional intelligence skills, the things that I think I'm pretty good at. I think I'm still learning too, but I think I'm pretty good at. Those don't show up. Those don't pop out at you on a resume it's hard to say, oh, I've got soft skills or I'm emotionally intelligent. You know, as a reader of a lot of these resumes, I feel the eyes roll in the back of my head, but it, but, but I'm telling you those are the things that, that set you apart as a candidate and to the extent that you can double down on those skills so that that's, what's going to differentiate you. You look at, you can look at 50 resumes and everybody codes in the same language. So, uh, as, as a recruiter, how how do you how do you differentiate between? Well, one thing that that everybody here has going for them is you're graduating from a world class university. UC Davis is consistently in the top fifty, hopefully lower, but it, it's always in the top fifty. Top and five would... or
1: six publicly uh, ranked institutions, for the thank record. You. So that's pretty.
2: Oh, that's thank you. So right there, you've got hit a leg up. Uh, And and the other thing is, that's going to pop out on a resume that you came from a highly rated public institution. And the second thing is, what kind of, what'd you do in between the seams of your career? Right? Uh, You might be the number one woman on the tennis team. That's wonderful. And that shows, right there, that shows grit, talent, determination, stick-to-itiveness. What did you do outside of that? And I'm not talking about you got this long laundry list of clubs that you belong to, which is also helpful. But talk about how do you present yourself? I did this because I'm passionate about that subject and tell them why. Um, Those are the things that are eventually going to going to make a difference with uh, your life outside of Davis.
1: I agree a hundred percent. We try to teach athletes now that there are skills that are going to become commodities. To your point, writing in Python now is a commodity, which means there's people all over the world that can do it cheaper than you can. But your right. athlete skills, the things that have made you an elite athlete, got you to the division one level are non-replicable by artificial intelligence and should be integrated into your story because they're human things. We call them non-cognitive skills within the Evo system. And that's why we teach emotional intelligence and sociocultural intelligence and leadership are all the things that at least so far, are not replicable by machines and should be front and center in their stories, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's good.
1: Well, thank you for reinforcing that. Um, (laughs) A thing I always have to close with, and uh, this may be more challenging for you because you've done and developed so many different things. If you had to reflect on your student athlete life as a soccer player at Davis and pick one thing, just one thing that made you successful then and has carried with you throughout your career and continues to contribute to your success. Let's focus on that soft skill, non-cognitive piece. What would it be?
2: That's a great question. Um, Can I do two?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: All right. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is teamwork. Uh, I was good enough to start. I wasn't good enough to take over a game. Very few people are. So that, and I knew, and I was wasn't full enough on myself to think otherwise. I knew that. So the teamwork and the ability to pass when it was the right time, I kind of, I got really good at assisting others. Um, And so I'd say that I'd say teamwork, absolutely teamwork. And with it comes collaboration and communication and all that stuff. You're you're kind of, you're 11 people, whether you're on a men's squad or a women's squad or a co-ed squad, you're 11 people on the field the ability to work together is going to set any team apart. So I'd say that is number one. For me personally, Mike, uh, I transferred into Davis from UC San Diego, where I also played varsity soccer. And going from San Diego to Davis was, on the athletic level, big step above. And kind of like the story I heard earlier in our conversation about the rejection, I figured out, coming in that I probably wasn't going to play a whole heck of a lot if I didn't up my game. So I focused on that. And in the span of about six months, I went from probably I would have been on, I would have made the team, but been on the bench to I'm on the team and I started. And that I think of that, I wasn't innately talented. I'm also a golfer, but I, I threw, I, I set aside the clubs early on because I figured out there's no way I'm going to make any college golf team, but I was good enough to play soccer and good enough to start. But at Davis, I needed to really put in the extra time and effort in order to really be a candidate to start. And, and to me, that wasn't, that was more aligned with persistence and grit and endurance and determination, just thinking, dang it, I'm going to not only make the team, but I'm going to be a, a starting contributor to the team. And if I don't increase my game, to use that phrase, that wasn't going to happen. So I, I two things on the field: teamwork. In order to be on the field, grit, endurance, persistence, determination. Not taking no, not taking no for an answer.
1: I love that. That's That was exactly the answer I was hoping for. So um, fortunately, I'm up against a hard time stop. Mark, it's always a pleasure. I thank you so much for the time and for your continued willingness to serve the community and and to give back and support Aggie student-athletes.
2: You're very welcome, Mike. And any athlete listening to this, all you need to do is get me on LinkedIn and send me a message, and I'll be happy to try to help
1: you out. Perfect. I'm going to send one your way, in fact, this week, who's on the entrepreneur path. That ends this week's World of Work Coffee Talk podcast. Thanks for listening to the World of Work podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and forward this to a friend. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation.